Welcome back, everybody. Welcome to the episode three of Coco Card Reading. I'm so glad that you joined me here again. Like the reception I received, the all the people that listen to episode one, episode two, and if you're back for three, I just want to thank you. Like I greatly appreciate people listening to me ramble about my favorite thing, which is reading and books. So. Thank you again for joining me. So the format of Cocoa Cart Reading, which pretty much the format I'm sticking to right now, is um, going over the topic of the episode. And today we have two topics. It's going to be, you know, um, alternative black culture and literature and also my nonfiction November and what that encompass review. Um, and then we're going to go into what I'm currently reading or planning to read for this, for December. And then finally Coco caught doing other things. So sit tight. This episode should be much, much, much shorter than last episode. So everybody who stuck with me through last episode, which was pretty much 24 listeners and it was the review of October and November. So my goal right now is to go ahead and have these podcasts be monthly. Um, I'm even thinking about going bi-weekly with some of the goals that I have for the podcast for next year. Um, and plus things I want to talk about even this year, because this is what the first for real weekend of December. And, um, I definitely want to go ahead and do another episode before new year's or on new year's day since I, you know, I don't work on new year on holidays. So new year's day. So thank you for listening again, sit tight And I'm going to go ahead and get into episode three topic, starting with alternative black culture. So before I um, started this episode, because alternative black culture was a last minute addition based off a question that was brought to me. If you do have any questions, any book recommendations, any topics that you want to me to talk about, hit me up in my email. My email is high frequency beauty spelled all the way out at outlook.com. Feel free to go ahead and, um, send me, you know, comments, questions, things like that to that email address, or you can find me on Facebook at Coco Lewis. That's K O K L L E W I S. I do have like kind of a private page almost. Um, that's only cause I'm like terrified of, opening my page up to everybody I'm a very much an introvert like I'm very friendly and charismatic and and as a person but I'm I definitely have to I love my boundaries um you can also reach me on Instagram at at sign nation of coco that's n-a-t-i-o-n-o-f-k-o-k-o I recently have a lot of new people um follow new followers because in one of the book groups that I am on uh, Facebook I did kind of like post my um I post my tag so I think I got like 30 in one day and if any of those people 
come up to this podcast. Welcome and thank you so much for listening. So one of the questions I always get asked of what is alternative black culture? Uh, and mostly I get this question by people who are non-black. Um, but more and more I've been, you know, uh, asked like, cause you know, for the most part growing up, I was considered a weirdo and I actually embrace that term. I embrace being a weirdo. And then now that I'm older, um, I embrace the term alternative black, <laughs> alternative black girl. So, and then, um, that's just like how it came to be. Um, so I read this statement, uh, alternative black culture is about defying convention and breaking out of boxes. And I think that has to do with anything with alternative, but also we have very specific stereotypes and the black community and the mainstream community. And I'm glad Melissa Perry gave us the um, definitions of Jezebel, Mammy and Sapphire, because I feel like those are the main stereotypes. And we definitely are in a society now that we see people break through those stereotypes with, you know, most of most evidently will be this, the uh, singer Lizzo, singer performer Lizzo and I feel like uh, um, Annie Lennox is breaking that stereotype too. I feel like uh, Summer Walker can break through that stereotype, but I still feel like she's kind of boxed in with her image. So, I mean, we'll see as her as their um, careers progress. Um, most of the alternative Black cu- culture is um, insinuated with music. Um, and how, you know, music that's not on the radio, indie, indie R&B, and now consider alternative R&B. Thanks for Spotify for, uh, 2018. My number one, um, my number one genre was indie R&B. And now in 2019 is alternative R&B, but the artists don't really change. Besides I stopped listening to Daniel Caesar. Um, in addition to that, um, as far as the alternative black community, like even though our interests align in alternative black community and culture, white people are still our struggle. So that's, I think that's what separates, you know, uh, the interests of alternative black culture with main culture is because we still have to struggle with that um stereotypes of white people and non-blacks now um a black alternative in literature is almost synonymous with being with afrofuturism and black sci-fi which i love black sci-fi and afrofuturism um as when i was in college I went to school for fashion design and merchandising. My goal was to be uh, Ruth Carter. And this is before Ruth Carter did um, Wakanda. You know, this is before she had the Wakanda because I wanted to take the appreciation of costume design and history and related to Afrofuturism, which she ended up doing in um, Black Panther and the creation of the images for and costuming for um, Wakanda. So 
Um, our heroes in Afrofuturism are definitely Octavia Butler, Tana Redu, Nanetti Okafor, Tommy Ayademe, Steve Barnes, Sam Delaney. And that's not an all-inclusive list at all because once you, you know, Afrofuturism and black sci-fi, it's like a rabbit hole. Once you get there, you pull all this, these people through history, you know, um, I think I was, how I was exposed to Afrofuturism was my love of Fahrenheit 451 and um, Brave New World. Those two books exposed me to um, sci-fi. And um, I was taught with my, by my mother to always approach things in a Black perspective, African, African American perspective. So once I realized I, you know, even Orson Welles, when I realized I liked those books, it made me automatically look at who are the Black alternatives to those sci-fi books that I like. And that's how I was exposed to Octavia Butler. Before then, uh, Chinua Achebe with Things Fall Apart was my favorite book. He was my favorite author. I read Things Fall Apart like continuously on loop. And even though that is not considered an Afro uh, Afrofuturism or a sci-fi book, um, they uh, the Things Fall Apart definitely talks about you a great way, and you know talks about the spirit realm and things like that, which totally. I don't understand how I missed <laughs> miss how I became me after reading those um, that book. But um, I was a first Octavia Butler book I read was Wild Seed, and that became my favorite book. I think I read that book over and over and over and over again to the point now I can just I have it memorized in my spirit. Like at this point. <laughs> And then I, from there, again, is a rabbit hole. So I got exposed to other readers. I fell in love with the Living Blood series by Tenet Reed Do. And um, recently this year, if I have to pick so far, I haven't done my best of 2019. I that's why I want to go ahead and do one more episode before the end of the year. So I can go ahead and do my best of 2019 series and what I thought about that. But if I had to think about the, I think this is, I think I started reading at the end of 2018 and end up finishing the book in 2019, which is Children of Blood and Bone, which that book is a masterpiece. Um, I'm hearing 50-50s about Children of Virtue and Vengeance. I'm still going to read it. It's going to be for 2020 with my with my book club. So I'm excited about that. Um, but that book was a magnificent piece of work. If you don't read anything else I tell you to read, it's like two books. I always tell people to read Born a Crime by Trevor Noah and then Children of Blood and Bone because that is the African version of Game of Thrones. You can't tell me anything different. Um, but I've also been exposed to Stephen Barnes, Sam Delaney, and Eddie Okafor, if I haven't said that, I said her already. So like embracing, embracing Afrofuturism and sci-fi opened my world up. It opened my world because at that time, the most prolific um, 
and like most prolific piece of literature I read before then that was black was um what's that um sis, uh, sister soldier book coldest winter ever which is is a, a phenomenal book but I I also read the books that she read she wrote after it before that I read her the book home with mother and things like that. And that's what made me read coldest winter ever Then everyone like else was reading coldest winter ever. So I read it, but I felt like the books after that, like midnight, I didn't connect to it at all at all. Like I didn't read, I read other books after her other books after that, that people were just raving about. I read other street books that consider street books or popular books that I just couldn't connect to. And I think one of the things that really like broadened my horizons and turned turn me, not turned me away from sci-fi and cause that's ended up being my focus is when I was exposed to Beverly Jenkins. And this was through a book club, it's through Mocha Girls Read. And I was um, exposed to Beverly Jenkins with the Blessing series. But I got into, I think I, I forgot which book I read. I think it was Rebel. No, it had to be before Rebel because Rebel was one of the recent books I read. But I got into her historical romance books. And I absolutely love the way Beverly Jenkins has the ability. It's, it's, it's like complete brilliance. And excuse me for geeking out about this, but she is able to tell like unpopular black history in her romance, historical romance. She was able to talk about these organizations and people. I remember she was talking about Frederick Douglass in one of the books and how he cheated on his, his black wife with these white European women, which I didn't know that before. Like I didn't know that. And like, I was like, hmm. like when I read it in the book and she was mentioning it, it made me do my research and it was absolutely correct and right. And the other things that she has exposed to me to while lacing romance through that. And me, I was never a romance reader, never. And that is, that is a revolutionary skill. Black love is revolutionary, especially in these days and times. Black love is revolutionary because that narrative of single mothership, you know, poor black father leadership, black men ain't shit. That is a narrative that is almost instilled into us as a stereotype. And it's very much a stereotype. And I know that from my own personal life, that is a stereotype because I have tremendous black men in my family and, um, the whole, uh, angry black woman. I didn't come across angry black women growing up. I had strong black women in my life. I didn't have anybody that was unnecessarily angry or putting down black men for no, for no apparent reason. I didn't have that growing up. So those stereotypes, I knew other stereotypes. I knew, um, how, um, I was perceived. Like I will be perceived as a, as a mammy or because I'm a friendly person. I'm very much an introvert, but I'm very friendly and kind of charismatic. Um, I'll be considered a mammy. Anytime I stood up for myself, I'd be considered an angry black woman. Or if I wanted to be, you know, dressed sexy for a night, I'll be considered a Jezebel and would have the unwelcome attention of non-black men. Like I understood those. 
I'm glad that Melissa Perry was able to put the terms on those stereotypes. And I was able to learn those stereotypes because I felt kind of like in a box when I would, you know, be exposed to those, that treatment. Um, so yeah, like alternative black culture means that we are outside of those boxes. We, I can be a strong independent or to me interdependent, um, woman. I don't align with being a feminist because I feel like black men, black women need each other. Black family should be interdependent upon each other. But I, because even, even black feminists is, is now, or feminism is a stereotype in a box and being an independent woman is a stereotype. And I don't fall into that stereotype. I don't feel the need to be completely independent of the black man in society, we're all, we are, we need each other. I grew up, we celebrated Kwanzaa very early in my life. So the identity of being, you know, co- cooperative economics, unity, self-determination, de- all of that self self was the black community, the black family. It wasn't just me as a person. So that I didn't have through alternative black cultures where I found my place. Um, so, so uh, going back to what I was saying, <laughs> Beverly Jenkins definitely even ex- expanded my, expanded me more with her historical fiction and going into black romance because I didn't really believe, not that I believe I wasn't exposed to black romance as outside of, Omar Tyree Flyer, you know, like <laughs> books like that. Like, um, yes, I grew I grew up reading things like uh what's the one book? Um, it was turned into a movie with Sanaa Lathan and uh, Wesley Snipes, Disappearing Acts. So even my identity of black love in literature before then was a struggle love. Waiting to exhale, struggle love, and uh, being exposed to a different type of love that wasn't really struggle love. It's like, you know, before then, I thought books about love, like it was almost destructive all the time. So this made me change my views as far as that. Um, so that was the expense. I do, um, consider Toni Morrison and, um, and Zoke Shango as, um, and Nikki Giovanni as alternative black culture, because poetry and the classicalness of Toni Morrison, like Toni Morrison is a god. In a literary, in my literary mind, she is a god. Okay, when I say god, G A W D, God, you know. So she actually made me feel like it was okay to read classical works of classical pieces of literature because going to school, I hated the role. I hated 
Walden, Emerson, all of those classical people. I hated that because I couldn't see myself in that. I read Song of Solomon and I felt myself in that. I felt the the people in my life in that. I felt my ancestors, my elders in, in, in her books. And but they're classical pieces like when you read what is considered classical literature, you just, you can substitute, just, you could just add, add Toni Morrison. Like Toni Morrison is a, is a classical writer. Anybody that tells me anything other than that, or just defines her as just a black writer, I can definitely pull out my soapbox, stand on that bad boy and defend her. And I, when I defend stuff, my family can tell you when I get on my soapbox, I'm not getting off until I've won. And that is something I would do for Toni Morrison and also Nikki Giovanni and like Nikki Giovanni as a poetic writer. Definitely. It's a, again, it was a rabbit hole for me. My mom exposed me to Nikki Giovanni. My mom's favorite poet is Nikki Giovanni. And I feel very much that Nikki Giovanni is a classical writer if it wasn't for Nikki Giovanni, I would not be exposed to Alice Dunbar, Paul Lawrence Dunbar, um, a plethora of other, um, a plethora of other poets, or even the thought of black people doing poetry. I mean, cr- true enough, I grew up on Last Poets as well, and I love Last Poet, La- the Last Poets. But Nikki Giovanni brought that classical aspect to it that I classical poetic poetry as in as a genre she bought that to me as a kid and it definitely opened my world up um so I want to add some people to this list and it's because I just I read Ann Petrie the street oh gosh again geeking out Excuse me for geeking out, but Anne Petrie, The Street, is a phenomenal classic piece of work. And even though it is not a popular book, it is a classical book. At that point in time, it was revolutionary that this book is written by a black woman and it sold this amount of people, amount of books. So, again, if you don't read another recommendation for me, read that book. Um, I also want to go ahead and add how James Baldwin was alternative black culture as well, because he was homosexual and, and we all, we are always taught that black families and the black community do not accept homosexuals, but every single black church got, got at least one. And if that's not acceptance, then I don't know what it is. Because we, that means you, churches and black church in general is sacred to most people. So the acceptance of homosexual, of a homosexual person in that atmosphere or our sweet uncle, you know, we've always accepted. So that narrative that black people aren't accepted in a black, in black homosexual LBGTQIA+. Thank you. I hope I, I hope I hit all the letters because I do consider myself a inclusive, diverse person and I set people who fits into who fits or identifies 
in that community. So I think that is uh, something that in itself is an alternative to black culture. Um, because I think the stereotype is that we don't, the, the stereotype of masculinity, the stereotype, because that goes with the black, hardworking black male, you know, that comes home, beats his wife, gambles, have multiple women is a stereotype. And black homosexuality is an alternative to that stereotype. And, or the thuggish type um, is a stereotype. So fitting for a, uh, black, homosexual, trans, queer, um, identifying person or expressing person is a bug to that system, is a bug to that stereotype, and is included and accepted within the black community. I believe that alternative black culture is the real, cult, is the real black culture, is really how we are. Um, I look at my family, my, fam my family, my nuclear family, we're all Star Wars fans, like super Star Wars fans. Even my brother, who people on the outside see him as fitting into a stereotype, he is absolutely not the stereotype. He's absolutely a intellectual person. And if you get to know him beyond his muscles and his rugged demeanor, yes, he is very much masculine in, um, in the traditional sense of the term he's very masculine um, but he accepts people for who they are he will watch uh, man in the high castle he'll watch star wars we all love those type of things we're very much a, a alternative in our own right we are alternative black family so i think that's why i never felt rejected or unwelcomed or i only felt like a weirdo when i left my house I never felt like a weirdo within my family. I never felt like I was a black sheep, no matter how weird I have been. Like I went through my emo phase, my black goth phase, my super duper Afrocentric phase. And all, uh, ultimately all those phases I went to have like turned me into who I am today, which I'm always grateful for that. I still listen to punk music, rock music, metal music, country music, classical and opera music, as well as R&B and rap. I still listen to all of that. And I still uh, read a plethora of books. Like I said, all of that has led to me. So ultimately, me saying all of this is that alternative black culture is really black culture. It's just removing the stereotypes that is put on us from uh, main society or non or non-black or white culture white society and um, non-black society has put a microscope on a certain type of people who exist they exist we got street people we got thugs we got sapphires we got jezebels we got mammies they exist but they're not the majority of us the the toxic black father that re, that is resistant to and that is homophobic they exist i just don't believe that they are they are totality they're not majority of us those stereotypes are not the majority of us those are very few people i believe in my experience and my beliefs those are very few people that actually exist in our community 
And it's time for all black people in the whole diaspora to recognize and embrace getting out of the box, getting out of that. So I know that was kind of long. So <laughs> I thought this was going to be a smaller part of the of the actual podcast, but it ended up being a major part. And I'm glad I was able to address that. I hope that answers the question that was brought to me. And I hope it inspires people to remove those boundaries in their lives and to uh, read different, read different books. The purpose of this podcast is to encourage literacy and expose alternative books to the mainstream, to the masses, to mainstream people, expose black books, expose uh, to expand our genre to be genre fluid as as Spotify has called me genre fluid to be genre fluid in the black community when it comes to reading and music and things like that all right and let's talk about nonfiction November so I only read completed like completing books has been my issue this year not because of time and mostly be due to interest. So, um, yeah, and also time too. Let me, let me scratch it. I was just thinking about that, reading, looking at the list of, of books I've read. Um, so nonfiction November, again, I am, I'm going to embrace this genre fluid uh, title or or description I was given. Thank you, Spotify, for giving me that. I'm genre fluid. I mean, with my music and also with my reading. So books I read for nonfiction November, I cheated a little bit only because, whew, child. So I read, for I started off the, the month, I had finished The Testaments by Margaret Atwood and I needed a little break because that book was mentally exhausting because how anticipated the book was and how much acclaim Margaret Atwood gets in general with the Handmaiden's Tale. I didn't, I didn't finish Handmaiden's Tale, you know, um, because I, I felt like there's better books by other, by people that are non-white. That's a hard gulp. I don't think I, <laughs> I always wanted to do like be able to do a hard gulp, but yes, that's basically what it is. Like, um, there's definitely better books by less known white authors and also by non-white authors. There's definitely greater books that deserve more accolades than Margaret Atwood. Testaments was a good book, but I gave it, I think I gave Testaments like a three stars. Um, it's just been a good book. Like my, it always goes like one star is like the book is trash. Two star was like, eh, I got through it. <laughs> three stars is like, mm, it's good. It's good. Four stars like, okay, I, I like this. And five stars is like, bury me with my books and this is one of them that is going to be in the in the casket with me not really because I don't want to be buried but you know theoretically 
So after reading the Testaments, which some I read, uh, finished in November, um, also I read Healing Herbal Teas by Sarah Farr. It's a non-black author, but I, it's, when, I, when I think of nonfiction, I think about cookbooks, um, books like this, um, that it goes, it just t- expanding my, my learning, self-improvement, educational book. So I really like that. I gave that book three stars. It's a good book. It's a good book. It's on my bookshelf. Um, I like the recipes in it. It's definitely like a beginner's book when it comes to, you know, herbal teas and working with loose leaves and herbs. So I like that. Now, my favorite book of nonfiction November, which was the technically the third book I read for um, nonfiction November, which is the most defining moments in black history, according to Dick Gregory. Oh, Dick Gregory, rest in power, Baba. He is like, I have read other Dick Gregory books and I feel like this book was almost a culmination of the other books that I read by him. Um, I think the last one I read before this one was Callous on My Soul, which was kind of a autobiography up until this, to, to that point. This book is his manifesto. This book is the culmination of his life. It doesn't go too far back into his transformation. It pretty much like Callous on My Soul is more of his talks about his transformation from being an overweight comic to his uh, lifestyle talks about him um his shakes and things like that and herbs and it talks about all of that his transformation this book is talks about him witnessing black history through the time you gotta think when he passed away he was in his 80s and we think the civil rights movement was so far back. We think about it as being history. And he was actually alive through all of, all of that. He recently passed away. So, you know, his, through his relationships and he did go in before his life when he talked about Tulsa, he talked about um, other things. He even mentions the Frederick Douglass you know, perusing with European women <laughs> in the book is a short mention, but um, learning history, it was like sitting at my elders' feet, if that makes any sense. Wait, you say you sit, at the, you sit at the feet of your elders and listen, like I was very much one of those people where my elders were alive. Um, I mean, my I guess my mom and my stepdad will be my elders now, but when my great my great aunt and uncles were alive. I do have some greats still alive now. They are, I do consider my elders. When like sitting, t- especially my aunt sis, I would love to sit with my aunt sis <clears throat> and we, and just listen to her stories, listen about black life in her time and how, and life in her time in general. So I really enjoyed having that experience growing up. And so this was like having that, those experiences growing up, but with Dick Gregory as my elder and him talking about his relationships with Malcolm, his relationships with Martin, his relationships with Muhammad Ali, these, his relationships with people that were no longer on this earth. And then also his, 
feelings about things that's going on now. Um, Cause he was alive with black lives, Ma- black lives matter was started. He was alive um, with uh, Tamir Rice and uh, Mike Brown, things like that. He was, a, he was alive through those, those things that when I'm older and you know, the next generation are, are going to be in their formative years are going to be history, you know, and for him to talk about that. So I gave that book four stars. I have quite lengthy reading journals, entries on that. And I, I had someone suggest and I asked other people. <laughs> so I think I am going to start doing this is that's posting my reading journals on my blog. So if you can find my blog, I'm going to, it needs to do some, I need to do some revitalization with that. And that's one of my 2020 goals, but yeah, I'm going to go ahead and go over that. Um, the next book I read after that was Sister Citizen, and that is by Melissa V. Harris Perry. I always call her Melissa Perry because I feel like when I see her on TV, they always refer her refer to her as Melissa Perry and not Melissa Harris Perry. But um, I started reading this. It's part of a book club that I want to be a part of, but it's kind of hard because it's in D.C. and I'm in Upper upper Maryland so it's about a two hour drive to this and it's like once a month and yeah I really want to I really want to but time it's that's four hours of driving alone on a, on a weekend that's kind of tough um so we are only supposed to read chapter two as part of that book but I end up reading and putting the whole entire book on my um on my reading list whoo y'all that book was hard to get through um, only because I feel like, again, I don't consider myself a feminist. I don't consider myself an intellectual, even though I'm intellectual in character. I don't consider myself an intellectual. I'm very much a real life working class black person and I align with that and I align with working class um, theories, ideologies, things like that. Um, <clears throat> so that book was a hard to get over. And some of the material, the book is kind of old. Anytime you have a political, social political, social psycho- psychological book, if it's older books, they don't age well. And I feel like that's one of those books beyond the definition of Mammy, Sapphire, and Jezebel didn't age well. And even those definitions didn't age well. So, yeah, I gave that book, I think, two stars because I just totally stopped identifying. Stop identifying, stop being a part of that book. Like, yeah. And then, so to wash that out my mouth, because at that point, I could no longer (laughs) read another book of nonfiction at that point. At that point, I was like, yo, I got to get this book off my mind. I got to get this book out of my system because I just, it made me feel icky inside, if that makes any sense. I don't know if it makes any sense, but it made me feel icky inside. So, 
I end up reading a book that came just in time from the library, which was Red at the Bone by Jacqueline Woodson. Now, before this book, I did read Brown Girl Reading. No, Brown Girl Dreaming by Jacqueline Woodson, which is, is in a po- her, she writes books in a poetic way. And Red at the Bone was an amazing, amazing book. Like, oh, that's being able to, and this goes with me saying like working class, um, I'm working class ideology. Nobody was like super rich in, um, no one was super rich in Red at the Bone. They weren't super rich. They didn't even, you know, they didn't even, like, I don't, I'm trying to put this in words <laughs> that, that is not in my type of, my mindset. Like, um, Red at the Bone was just a great book. It comes from a working class family and is a real life story. Like, even if it's fiction, it can be any of us. And it's pretty much revolves around an unplanned pregnancy and how it shaped the family how it shaped the, the, the mother of that, you know, and I wouldn't even call it unplanned pregnancy. Let's just make it, let's just make it plain because anytime you have sex without a condom, if you get pregnant, it's not unplanned. That's just, that's my thought. But it starts, and I should say more than unplanned, a teenage pregnancy and how that shaped a family and the things that go around is some twists and turns even a reference to 9-11 oh this book like the this book is amazing and it go it start she meant she talks about how a descendants of the Tulsa I wouldn't call it riots a massacre the Tulsa massacre the people of Greenwood how their descendants were affected by that and then how, you know, uh, a real living uh, effect of the 9-11 um, terrorist attack or co- if you're a conspiracy theorist, the setup. Um, so it talks about like all it mentions all of that. It weaves history into a story about a family. And that is amazing and is amazingly written like Jacqueline, like Brown. I love the Brown Girl Dream and I think I gave it four stars and I gave this book four stars as well on Goodreads. You can always find me on Goodreads as well. Um, I rate I rate almost every single book I read. So, yeah. So that was like the last book I finished in November I started reading Educated. Now, Educated has several different versions. So I read the Tara Westover version. Um, I swear I I got maybe like three quarters of the way through and I just didn't finish it. It was like Thanksgiving and I was like, look, I'm not even, I got like, I'm not going to finish it. (laughs) It was like basically it's Thanksgiving. I'm about to go with my family. I'm not going to finish this book. So I did not finish reading that book. So that was how I left off. And that book, ultimately, I'm going to, I want to go ahead and finish that book because 
we it was a way to think about alternative education in a white poor way I don't I don't know how to like explain it in a different way, but they were white poor people in the mountains. Um but they they believe in alternative education. Her mom worked herbs, her mom was a do was a midwife. Um her father is her father believed in off grid living, which I support that. I support being able to live off the grid. I support alternative living, but her father was kind of like, ugh, he was kind of like he, she believes that he had um, undiagnosed bipolar disorder. So, yeah. So just think about those facts and how they had probably shaped her as a child. So, yeah, that's what I read in for nonfiction November or and how I cheated. <laughs> we read it the bone and how I, I absolutely enjoyed that book. And was the second best thing I read um, after the, the most defining moments of, in black history, according to Dick Gregory, which was my favorite book in November. So it was been on my to read list soon as it came out. And then he passed away like around that same time. So, yeah. So I hope so if you don't take any other like takeaways from this, take those two books. Red at the Bone and The Most Defining Moments in Black History. That's one of those books that will probably go into my most recommended books. I'm just going to stop <laughs> saying, like, if you don't take any other recommendation from me to read this book, I'm just going to put that into my most recommended book. <laughs> Now, if you ask any black family, <laughs> this is with stereotypes. I mean, this is one of stereotypes I love. Christmas starts when you hear the temptations. <laughs> that is like until you hear the temptations singing their Christmas songs, Christmas season doesn't really start. But it's December. And so we're in a full swing of Christmas season or holiday season so one of the best things I have discovered has been a Kwanzaa album it's like by the uh, Calabash women like like I said I grew up celebrating Kwanzaa we celebrate Kwanzaa in my family um Habari Ghani like I I can't wait to Kwanzaa like I one of the sole reasons why I want a family is so I can celebrate Kwanzaa <laughs> celebrate with my own family so like children and things like this because I want I want to celebrate Kwanzaa I think Kwanzaa is a phenomenal um holiday in the black community um I think you have to separate the creator from the creation when it comes to that because a lot of people don't celebrate Kwanzaa like all the people didn't embrace Kwanzaa because of Karinga the creator but separate the creator from the creation and you get Kwanzaa which is an amazing holiday and I, very important to connect with our ancestors and I believe it's very 
uh, important to connect with our culture. Um, so yeah, so it's December. I'm not a, a Christian, so I don't, I'm not a big Christmas person. I love decorating for Christmas. I've already started decorating my desk and my job. Um, I really don't decorate at home because I spend most of my time at work and it's cheaper to decorate at work and I don't have a family. So it's not like I need to put gifts underneath the tree. So yeah. Um, but it's December. So it's holiday book time. Oh, I love this time of year because I like it does. I read a lot of novellas. I'm not really. So at this time, I've only read 36 of my 50 book goal. And I think I can probably squeeze in those 14 books between reading some manga or comic books and reading um, Christmas novellas. Like one novella is 87 pages. I can read that in one sitting on my lunch break, an hour, basically. So just a few books that are on my currently reading. So I'm finishing an unfinished book, which is Diamond Doors, which I love this book. Um, a lot of the feedback and, and reviews I've read on Diamond Doors is that they don't believe it. <laughs> um, Diamond Doris is she had a Netflix. Um, I haven't read, I haven't watched it. I said I want to read a book first, but she has a Netflix movie or docu series documentary about her. She is an international black female international jewel thief. So I'm like halfway. I'm more than halfway through the book right now. I really. Reading her story, I'm from Cleveland, Ohio, as where I grew up in and in that metro community. It's almost a story about um, it's almost a story about Cleveland as well. Like she has some properties that are like traditional characteristics of black females in Cleveland, you know, um, typically we're hustlers and hardworking and things like that. So she definitely and is uh resembles some of that stuff. But additionally on top of that, she is inspirational as far as she refused to be defined as a single black mother and a mammy almost. She started off working in a nursing home and she was just like, look, this is not for me. I'm cool. It's not my, the life I want to live. I don't want to be defined by, um, I don't want to be defined by servant work. So she became a diamond thief. And um, so her stories and love and things like that and things that she ended up doing outside of that were, were quite inspirational. I can't say it's for me. I'm cool. Like being a thief makes me nervous. Stealing makes me nervous. I'm not a good thief. I always get caught <laughs> because I think it turns me into, you know, those nervous qualities. But um, I'm also have on my and downloaded. Again, I'm a very much a proponent of the using your local library to read. I just downloaded one Christmas song by AC Author, which is a black holiday 
uh, romance, a black holiday um, book. I have the Christmas collection by Patrice Wilton. I haven't really, I think I only got like a couple pages into that. Um, the baby in the window by Aretha Thomas. See, I don't know if that's a Christmas book or holiday book, but the cover is very much holiday. And it's one of those books that I got for like free using like Booksy or well, free booksy or one of those other free ebook sites that I got it from a long time ago. It is one more. I can't, I'm looking to find it in my collection and I want to go ahead and read. Um, so, and I also posted in one of my book club online book groups on Facebook, like it's December holiday book list put them down below and it's like when I tell you the women in that group went in they went in and it's like maybe 50 book recommendations in that list I cannot wait to chip away all of them add them to my group um add them to my to read list it's even one by Zane I'm not a good erotic fiction person and I'm not a good Zane person either. Like sometimes it makes me gag a little bit <laughs> or like, you know, reading erotic fiction or it just makes me roll my eyes. So, yeah, I'm not a good erotic fiction person, even though I used to write it when I was in high school. I mean, when I was in college, looking back at it, I'm just like, eh. even then I was kind of I was quite taste tasteful. I was like soft porn, erotic romance, soft, because I. I just never was like, yeah, like when it, when people talk about what 50 shades of gray, I think I like gagged or like roll my eyes or even threw up in my mouth a little bit a few times <laughs> during that book. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, so that is, is all this December is all about holiday romance and also black holiday romance. So holiday romance is one of those things I don't just want to read black holiday romance. I want to read all the holiday romance. I, last year I read one about a plus size woman and you know what? It was great. I want I was thinking about reading that book again because I think each story is about 126 pages, 125 pages. And there's two stories in one book. Again, novellas. I'm all over those this this year. I'm all over the over those in December in general. So hopefully I finish Diamond Doors in the next couple of days, and that way I can go full swing on the whole holiday romance. Ah, uh, I not I'm not gonna say that, <laughs> but I just wish it was like more expanded. You know, um, black romance books. So Beverly Jenkins has a black romance book and it's like 86 pages. Can't think about copying that as well. Like those small novellas this time of year, I will nickel dime myself into like a hundred bucks because, you know, even the ones that are not on for free, they're like $2.99, $3.99. And I go delete, I go add in all of them $5.99 until I'm like at a clean hundred 
$100. And I really don't want to give Bezos none of my money. I'm cool on Bezos. I, I'm, t I'm sick of replacing my Kindle every couple couple years because it stopped working and the battery stopped working. Yeah, I'm over that. So, yeah. So that's the topic for today. Um, well, I already finished the topic for today. I talked about... Uh, well, that's what I'm reading <laughs> um, for December. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's go into me doing other stuff. Let's talk about the things I, I other things I've done. So far as the uh, the other things I've been doing, I've been watching 90 Day Fiance. <laughs> if you watch 90 Day Fiance, you know why I'm laughing. You know how that like I feel I feel bad for poor Annie. And dude is like, I don't know, I think his friends telling him that all Dominican women are gold diggers is going to interfere with his authentic relationship he may have with Annie. But that's mostly what I've been watching on TV, I haven't really been watching TV too much. Um, I'm really behind. I think I caught up with The Good Doctor, finally. Um, but I had to watch like eight episodes. Okay? I had to like watch eight episodes of The Good Doctor in order to catch up. But I think I finally caught up. Um, let me see. What else have I been doing? I've been working, mostly. So my, um, my second job as an HR specialist with Kohl's ended on the 24th of November. Yeah. So yeah, that was a, that was like all my time. So now I'm back to going through my eBooks and things like that. Um, I bought makeup on Black Friday. Like I have seriously have not been using my credit card. My actually my credit score went down because I wasn't using any of my credit. Um, I grew up, my mom is very much anti-credit. Like to her, no credit is good credit. And my credit score went down because I just wasn't using my credit card. I've been paying it off, paying it off. And all of a sudden these Black Friday sales come through and like, the only thing that I like as much as reading is makeup. So I did go ahead and buy makeup and I stuck to, besides one store, I stuck to black owned. So I bought from the crayon case. I bought from Pat McGrath because she had the Lux lipsticks for $10. I copped those. I got some. Um, yeah, but I really, I don't need, and I also bought some indie makeup, but yeah, and that's what I ended up doing. I just bought makeup. <laughs> I I spent less than a hundred dollars. So that's that. I didn't spend, I'm not, I wasn't balling out. I, crowds make me nervous. I'm very much an introvert. Like I said, I'm friendly, I'm charismatic, but I don't like crowds. I get social anxiety. So, and plus, like, I would rather pay more and not be around crowds type things. So I'm probably waiting until 
like January to buy a TV and then dresser that I want is sold out until January anyhow. So I'm just going to leave that. And the other thing I've been doing besides reading has been sleeping. And that's all due to, I got a heated blanket, like a heated, like I have this thing about faux fur and it's a far for a faux fur heated blanket every night. Like last night I went to bed at 7.30, went to bed at 7.30 at night, woke up at like 3.30 this morning because I just wanted to get in my bed. I have a fur comforter. I have the fur I have the faux fur comforter, faux fur heated blanket. I have a faux fur body pillow cover. I was in faux fur heaven and I was out of there. I had a heating pad on my, on my back and I had uh, the heated blanket on my front and I had my socks and I had my Nickelodeon socks on. I'm a happy girl, straight up. So that's pretty much it. Like that's what I, <laughs> that's what I've been doing is sleeping, getting my life together. I'm new out here to Maryland. So if you're in Maryland, hit me up on Instagram, on Facebook, or email me. And if you're into books, let's go. Right now, I have no listeners from Maryland. So by chance you found this, that means we're destined to be friends. That means we are destined to be friends because basically I have no listeners from Maryland. I have listeners from Barbados, Ohio, Virginia, everywhere <laughs> but Maryland. So if you're in Maryland and you hear this podcast, that means we are meant to be friends and you need to go ahead and connect with me somehow. And besides that, thank you for listening. You made it here. We did a great job. This is much shorter than last episode. I think it's even shorter than the first episode. And this would be this should be about the length of every episode. Um, I think I did go a little longer than I expected on an alternative black culture, but just remember all black culture is alternative culture. <laughs>